So this is um, week three in our series on the person of the Holy Spirit. Trying to find our way away from the idea of the Holy Spirit as merely a spiritual concept or an encounter of some kind of event that provides a temporary impact on our lives and then fades away over time. Do you want to share your testimony? Yeah. Yeah, come on. During our praise and worship and singing, and the Lord's telling to us to pour it out, I saw this beautiful well, just full, full of water. And we were his vessels, and as we were filling up, the well, it just overflowed. The vessels overflowed, and the Lord told me, this is us. And as the vessels overflow with the Holy Spirit, all that will spread out to one another and into the community. And it was just beautiful. That's all I can say. <laughs> Praise God. Yeah. I thought that was very uh, affirming and confirming to what I, what I want to share with you this morning. The scriptures, when commenting on the personal impact on an individual believer by the living presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit, indicates that he comes permanently. Permanently. It is not a temporary experience. 1 John 2.27 But the, the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. To abide in the Greek is the word meno, meno, and it means to stay, to continue to dwell, to be present and to remain. John is saying that what, that's what the Holy Spirit does when he comes into your life. But he's also saying we need to do the same in relation to the Holy Spirit. Because it is a two-way, interactive, mutually beneficial relationship. Now you might be asking, well, what is it? that I could possibly give to the Holy Spirit of the living God that would benefit him, the creator of everything. Anyone have an idea? Hmm? Bingo. Love. Love. You see? Nobody can give the love that he can give to God. Nobody Marcy, can give the love that you can give to God. Nobody can give the love that you have to God. You are unique in your ability to express your love, your individual love. He can get it from no place else other than you. And when you give it, he benefits from it. 
He receives it. He embraces it. It fills him up. It lifts him up, the scriptures say. Lift him up. How do you lift up the Lord? Love on him. Love on him. Because it is so unique to his experience. It's beneficial to him. You have a love that cannot be freely expressed by any other human being who ever has or ever will exist. Isn't that amazing? It isn't so much that he wants what you can do for him. He wants you. He just wants you. Whatever he enables us to do for him is simply a side benefit. John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whosoever believes in me will do also the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. How long? Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Sounds pretty powerful, huh? So two days ago, three days, I don't know, somewhere in in the week in that conference, uh, an afternoon session, and they, they did this really unique thing. They had eight speakers, eight keynote speakers, scrunched into two hours. Now, any one of these guys could have spoken for the three days. Pretty well-known, majority of them. So they had 15 minutes. So you know that they're going to give you both barrels while they've got their spot. How many of you remember back, I think it was in the 70s, uh, Ethiopia was overthrown by the communists? Do you remember when that happened? I don't know why I remember that, but I do. And... uh, One of these 15-minute speakers was the rebel leader, the communist leader, who overthrew Ethiopia. He became the president of Ethiopia under communist rule. About three years into his reign or rule, however communists see that stuff, uh, his best friend overthrew him. Typical communist ploy, right? And he ended up in solitary confinement for 12 years. He says, in year five, being an atheist and a communist, 
in the darkness of my cell, Jesus appeared. And in a very strong Ethiopian accent, he said, he is a man of light. And he said to me, he does this, he said to me, follow me. And I said to him in my mind, I don't even believe you exist. And he vanished. So he thought to himself, am I losing my mind? Five years in solitary confinement was that just a figment of my imagination. He said, but the next night he came back. And he said, follow me. And he said, you must be real. And if you're real, then I will follow you wherever you take me. Take my life. That was year five out of 12. For the next seven years, he was in the personal school of Christ in solitary confinement. Jesus would come to him and taught him the Gospels. <laughs> I will love him and manifest myself to him. <laughs> this guy's a communist rebel. <laughs> you know, I didn't get him in my bedroom. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he got him twice, you know. <laughs> Gee whiz. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I'd like us to just take a moment to ponder this statement. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. How do you interpret that? Or even better, how do you internalize that statement? Think about it for just a second. If you love me, Jesus pops into your bedroom in the dark of the night, stands in front of you and says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Process that for a minute. What does that mean to you? You go into auto mode and begin to get on an internal list of do's and don'ts that will somehow show that you are legitimately a Christian? Are you stoically hammering your way through a New Testament personalized version of your own Ten Commandments in order to prove to yourself or someone else that you really are a Christian? And is that the same thing as keeping his commandments as an expression of love to the lover of your soul. Truly, truly, I say to you, right? How's that for an opener from the one who is truth? He's standing there in front of truth itself, and he says, truly, truly, like talk about overemphasis, you know? What's he saying? He's saying, pay attention. What I'm about to say 
is life impacting. If you get this, if you can hold on to this, it's going to change who you are. Truly, truly, truth is saying to you, bam! I'm about to unveil something worth catching and holding on to, something that will unlock your ability to be as I designed you to be. Then he unveils this awesome equation in John 14. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. An equation in mathematics is a statement that the values of two mathematical expressions are equal, indicated by the sign equal, right? Those two little slashes. This and this equal. You now have an equation. When you have what those two things equal, a third part completes the equation. The process of equating one thing with another, okay, you have to use synonyms, identification, association, connection. Jesus is spelling out a divine equation because... He wants to identify with us. He wants your identity to be his identity. You and I equal me. That's what he's looking for. He wants to be in association with you. I won't leave you orphaned. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm always by your side. I'm always there, even in the worst of it. Even when you don't see me, when you don't feel me, when you don't turn to me, when you don't pray to me, it doesn't matter. No matter how deep and how dark you get, I'm still hanging out. He's forever faithful. He wants to connect with you at the deepest levels of who you are. He wants you to be truly human. And I think if, if I could say in a couple of words the thing that I came, out, came away from this conference with uh, in a simple sentence is, there is no one on this planet who is truly human. The two that pulled it off, the first one blew it, Adam. The second one is seated in heavenly places with his father and expresses himself through us. But his desire is to complete the equation so that you and I are so identified with him that we become truly human, image bearers of the invisible God. So that when people see you, they see him. When they see him in you, they see the father. When you express your love, they feel his love. When they feel his love through you, they know there's a father in heaven who loves them. And I got to tell you, it's important for this generation who's running around fatherless.
First John 2, 6 says this, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Complete the equation, church. It's simple math. Jesus and me equal Jesus. All through the gospel accounts of Jesus' earthly ministry, we hear him reference back to the fact that in and of himself, he can do no works, but that he only does what he sees the Father doing. And he only speaks what he hears the Father saying. Why? I mean, isn't he God in the flesh? Isn't he divine? I mean, it's, it's no stretch of our imagination, you know, to think about Jesus saying to a dead person, corpse, you know, get up and walk. Doesn't rattle my noodle at all to think that. You know, to the blind eyes, be open. To the demon, get out. We fully expect that when he says it's going to happen. So why is it that he's continually relying on the Father? John 5, 19, 20. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, there it is again, pay attention to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father, catch this, for the Father loves the Son. Come on, turn on some light bulbs. And shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. The equal sign in the relational equation between the Father and the Son is love. Jesus and the Father equal love. Because the Father loves the Son, the Son pours out love. And that love is expressed from the Son to the Father. The Father loves the Son. The Son does the works as an expression of love back to the Father as Jesus, in turn, loves us in the same manner as indicated in the original equation. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father who loves me. So you come to me because I love you. But now here the equation builds again. Because as Jesus received the Father's love and gave it out, now we receive the love of the Father through Jesus so that we can what? You guys are awesome. The Apostle John takes the equation to the next obvious application, and that is our own expression of love to Jesus through keeping his commandments. But he also reveals what the indicator is that we are equating properly so that we are equating properly with, the, with Jesus' heart. First John 3, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. There's the equal sign. Love 
one another. I do this because the Father loves me. I love you, so I do this. If you love me, you'll keep my commandment and love one another. You want to do the works? You know, uh, the church is always talking about healing, and we, we get into that. We're looking for miracles to start to emerge in this church. I mean, serious stuff. I, I wish all of you had signed up for Wednesday night. We would, we would nuke this town. But that isn't the point of the spear. It's the fruit. It's the fruit. The point of the spear is the expression of Jesus Christ's love. And if we will love, the works will follow. I don't know if you, any of you follow like uh, Todd White or, or Robbie Dawkins on, on the YouTube stuff. Uh, they're out there in the world just ministering in, in incredible healing and miracle power. But you know what they talk about all the time when they encounter someone? Man, God loves you. I saw you, you know, I saw you hobbling down the street. I just want to come and tell you, Jesus loves you. I want to pray for you. He's going to fix that leg right now. He loves you so much. Bam, the guy's healed, you know. What was that all about? It's just the love of God, man. He just wants you to know how much he loves you. You see, it's not, oh, I can do signs when I'm a healer, you know. I'm doing miracles. It's none of that. He's expressing the love of the Father and the natural outworking of that, signs and wonders and miracles following, God confirming what he's speaking. Yes, I love the world so much, I gave my only begotten son, not so that they could end up in church on Sunday or have some type of theological understanding, but that they could break the shackles that have bound their lives. They could have blind eyes open and crippled bodies repaired and, and diseases flee from them. That's why. It's the kingdom. As he gave us commandment, and he who keeps his commandment dwells in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit which he gave us. By the spirit, by the Holy Spirit that he gave us. Uh, one of the keynote speakers this past week was uh, Philip Yancey. I don't know if any of you ever read his books. Really good author. Um, I never read his books because I didn't like the titles. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we came home with some after hearing him speak. We, we, we bought some. And uh, <laughs> I know. I, know. <laughs> I had to get the log out of my eye. <laughs> so anyways, he was telling this story. He and his wife were uh, over in Bhutan, and they, they're on some type of tour there, ministry. Or yeah, He's actually a journalist, a Christian journalist, and he was brought by this group to a um, leprosarium where they have lepers, a leper hospital. And um, so they're, they're going around, and in a courtyard... And all around the courtyard are the hallways going into the different wards. And he looks down this ward, and there's this woman there. She's the oldest leper patient in the hospital. She's close to 90. Uh, she has no more feet. All her fingers are gone. She's just got these clubs for hands. Uh, her, her nose is, is gone. He said, when you look in her face, you look right into her skull from where her 
flesh has just been eaten up. Her ears are gone, and uh, she can't walk. But when she saw them down the hall, she'd dig her elbows in, she'd pull her body to make it to where they were. And they, they kept doing their tour, and they came back around. She finally reached the courtyard, and she's lying on the ground like this with her clubs. And Philip says, my thought was, oh, she must be a beggar. And he reaches into his pocket. He pulls out his coins like he's going to give her something. But his wife <laughs> saw what she really needed. And he put a little picture of his wife sitting on the ground with her arms wrapped around this leprous woman and just hugging her as deeply as she could. And he realized he didn't see what she needed. He didn't have a clue what the commandment was. Silver and gold have I none. <laughs> but what I have, this I give you. And his wife got the message. Then the director of the hospital said, oh, this is whatever her name was. She's our prayer warrior. If you have a prayer need, he says, I don't know why. God answers every prayer she prays. <laughs> it doesn't matter what she asks for. It happens. The Holy Spirit came along and said, she loves so deeply. I can settle here. I can pour love out through this broken and flesh-eaten body and pierce the hearts of those who think they're whole. Why is it so important that the Holy Spirit is an active agent in your life? <laughs> Why else would you embrace a leper? What else would compel you to love like that? There's two parts to the equation. There's always two parts to an equation, at least. First part of our equation is believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Excuse me. must be an art to preaching with snot. <laughs> First part of the equation is believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. The second part of the equation is love one another. So let's go to a Jesus conversation with a man named Nicodemus for a Jesus explanation of the equation. John 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Why was he doing the signs? 
God loved them. God loved them. God wanted to love the Jews through him. It wasn't that God was just with him. Much deeper than that. Jesus goes right off into this. Listen, truly, truly, pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, here we go again, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you can hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone, with how many? With everyone who is born of the spirit. I want to live that way. So someone who is born again gets to do what in regards to the kingdom of God? Repeat the verse in your own head. Who is born again, must be, a man must be born again to see the kingdom of God, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? He must be born again to see the kingdom of God. They get to see it, right? What Jesus said, these are his words, this is his equation. And I love that. I remember after I believed in Jesus and received him as my Lord and Savior and was born again, how the Bible came to life for me, and I began to see things in the Word with clarity and understanding. It was really mind-blowing. I mean, within 18 hours of praying that simple prayer with a bad attitude, mind you, (laughs) you know, I was in a Bible bookstore buying my first Bible, a little New Testament. And when I opened that thing up, man, it was like the lights were going on. Day after day after day after day. I think I read the New Testament probably three times in the first year. Just hungry, hungry in the Word, in the Word, in the Word. All the time. It was just coming alive to me. I could see the kingdom. I had read the Bible before I was saved. It was stupid. Didn't make any sense. I mean, some of the stories were pretty, well, you know. But I knew instinctively there was more. Something more that my inner man was really yearning for. Seeing wasn't enough. A year later, I was at a Pentecostal outreach meeting in the chapel at Boston College. This guy comes up and he puts his hand on my head and it was, bam, like a pile driver right down to my knees. I mean, so fast, so hard, it hurt. Is that heavenly, heavenly music? I like that. I 
I was crying. I was laughing. Snot was coming out of my nose. I was talking in tongues. I mean, I didn't care. I didn't care. went on well over an hour, you know, and I knew that what my inner man was longing for had arrived. I was so excited, so, so excited. So the next day after work, there was a series of outreach meetings going on on the campus. I thought, well, I'm going back for more tonight. I'm going to go back there. So after work, I went home, and I get into, you know, get into shower. I'm going to get cleaned up, and uh, I'm in the shower, and I put my face up, and the water's hitting me in the face, and all of a sudden, this stream of words begins to download into my mind, and I know it's the voice of God. And he's telling me things, and I instinctively know they're for other people, and I have to tell them. I am like, awestruck, awestruck, you know? No longer was it just that people could tell me about God. No longer was it just a matter of being on the peripheral outside looking in and learning from others. All of a sudden, God himself was speaking to me, and I know and I knew I was in. I had entered the kingdom of God. The spirit had come. Unless a man is born of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Seeing is never enough. The thing about this equation is that it works at all levels of relational interaction between the kingdom of God and those who enter into the way as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus speaks about this in parables on a number of occasions. These parables convey both invitation as well as warning. I pray that we heed both. Matthew 25, 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish ones took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom delayed, you know, we have experiences in God. And the intensity of the moments, the incidents, the, the times, you know, Kairos moments in the church where the Spirit of God is moving and, you know, you, you got these lines of testimonies and, oh, yeah, God showed up, you know, and this cripple was in the wheelchair and I said, in the name of Jesus, and they stood up and they were praising or this guy, you know, in the Philippines, I told him to stomp that crushed leg and he stomped it and he began to dance and he was a Muslim and all these Muslims got saved, but, you know, that was 15 years ago. The bridegroom has delayed. The stories lose their spark. I don't want to tell you what I did 15 years ago. I want to tell you what I did this morning. I want to tell you what I'm going to do this afternoon. I want to be an ongoing testimony to the presence of the Holy Spirit, active in my life, in this church in our community. 
as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. And all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. Listen, they knew what to do with their lamps. They trimmed those wicks. Get this thing ready. Here he comes. Listen, God is coming. Something is about to happen in New Hampshire. One of the things that Martha and I experienced in this little conference, you know, expecting 50 and 900 show up, was the amount of people who had recent encounters with New Hampshire. One of the guys on the worship team, we did an odd thing for us. Uh, We got front row dead center seats. Every, Every time we came into that auditorium, we snuck in there early before they opened the doors and put books Front row, dead center. Now, we don't normally do that, right, Eric? Right? Don't I normally go to the, the balcony type thing, you know, towards the back, nondescript, you know. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to get fed and enjoy this. I, wanted, I don't know why. I just wanted to be there. But people on the stage are so glad you guys are in the front. They couldn't even see us, the lights. They'd say, you know, everyone that got up there, I wish I could see you folks but the light. But then they'd say afterwards, we're so glad you guys are in the front row. Your presence there is really important. This one guy connects with Martha, and he's one of the worship team. And he says, oh, so where are you from? She says, oh, New Hampshire. New Hampshire. I can't believe it. You're from New Hampshire? New Hampshire, right? He says, yo, I run a, a marriage ministry in my church, and I have a, a retreat in Holderness. Was it Holderness? Holderness, New Hampshire. I take groups to Holderness every year. He says, I'm always amazed at the the fracture and the division of the churches in that area. He says, really discouraging. He said, but this year, two weeks ago, I was there. He said, I started connecting with these, these people, like Mike Kiefer up in Plymouth, right? That thing they got going up in Plymouth, right? John, no, John, John Sanborn, Faith Alive Church, connects with John, and John says, oh, we don't have any worshipers. I'll come in and do a worship seminar in your church. He plugs in over there and does a worship seminar. You know, these are all people that we're connecting with. He said, but I had no idea there was a vineyard church. He said, something's going on in New Hampshire. Something has begun to stir in the spirit. He said, my wife and I are very localized, but we're making plans to go back to the lakes region. It's because something's going to break out. The bridegroom is coming to our area. So do this. Any of you own a hurricane lamp? You know those crystal clear bottoms? You know why they're crystal clear? See how much oil you got. All right, I want you to look at your your oil lamp. Be honest. Be honest. How much oil is in your lamp? Because the bridegroom's coming. You got a lamp if you know him. Remember the equation, must be born again, to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Is there anyone in this room who isn't born again? Would you just put up your hand? I just want to embarrass you. Let me know. (laughs) 
Listen, if, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to make this real simple. Right? If you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, if you've ever considered, listen, my life is a mess. I need someone else at the helm. He's the man. He's the one. He can, he can put you, it's so good. It is just so good. If you want to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you want to be born again today and begin to see the kingdom of God and understand what it means to be in relationship with the living God, all you have to do is this. Yes, Jesus. Just right where you are, in your own head first, just say, yes, Jesus. Then the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. So if you thought that in your head, I want you to take the next step right where you are and simply say this, yes, Jesus. Okay. You've just been born again. Because you know the equation. You know what you're saying yes to. Now, we don't need a, a big roadmap at this point. There's one coming. It's called the Word of God. And you'll, you'll get plenty of it, and you'll understand it, and it'll take you, you to places you never knew you could go in Christ. But you've got to start with a yes, Lord. I need what you have, because I have nothing left in me. First part of the equation. Second part of the equation is to be born of the Spirit. So I'll ask the question... That Paul asked, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And if the first thought in your mind is, well, I think so, you didn't. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, you know the Holy Spirit has come. There's no question mark at the end of, the Holy Spirit came? Isn't that? No. Holy Spirit came! <laughs> no, it's a period. It's an exclamation. It's something more than a question. But if you have not received the Holy Spirit since you believed, I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to do what the book of Acts shows, that you know, they came and they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. If you're holding your lamp and there's no oil, he wants to light you up. He wants you to be a city on a hill that can't be hidden. He wants you to be a lamp on top of a basket, not under it. What good is a hurricane lamp if you can't light it when all the electricity fails? When you've got no more power and you turn to your lamp and you've got a match in your hand and you say, dang, it's empty. Where's your lamp at today? I want to fill it. Fill it today. The bridegroom's coming. It's coming. Holy Spirit. Ooh. Ooh. 
Lord, light us on fire. So the world can see us burn and find the light of your love. Oh, God. Lord, there are some depleted lamps in this place today. Lord, I know that you desire way more than I do that they be filled. So I invite you to come. Just begin to move over these people, oh God. Lord, we're going to trim our wicks right now. We're going to examine our hearts. See where we are in relation to you. How that equation works out, oh God. One and one in you can equal anything. Holy Spirit. Search us, oh God. See if there be any hidden darkness in ministry of grace. The grace of the love of Jesus Christ is expressed as the love of the Father who loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten Son who loved the world so much that he gave his Holy Spirit who loved the world so much that he came and set up home in our hearts. You're here for the long haul, God. But Lord, you want a bright mansion, a well-lit tent, a place of welcome and warmth, oh God. And we're so depleted. So come. Fill these vessels with fresh oil. If that's you today, if you're feeling empty, depleted, drained, if this thing that we call Christianity is empty and devoid of power for you, The answer is here, the Holy Spirit. He wants to fill your lamp today. He wants to know you in love. He wants to know others through the love that he pours through your life. He wants you to keep his commandment. Love him, love one another. I want to invite you to come up. I'm going to ask anyone trained for prayer. Students come up, any of the School of Kingdom Ministry students come up. Ready to pray. Elders and pastors, always welcome to come up. Those who are coming up are indicating to you that in the equation they have pursued the equal mark. They said to the Lord, I want to be part of your mathematics. I want your love to flow through me to affect the lives of others. This isn't just a select group. This is a hardworking group who 
diligently and continually seek to be used of the Lord, searching the word and ministry and through training. And they do it for you, not for themselves. So if you have a need today in the Lord, you need to go to that strong tower. If you need your lamp filled, if you need your wick trimmed, if you need healing, if you're under assault by the enemy of your soul, the lover of your soul, says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. If you're at odds with your own mind, your own beliefs, come up and I'll give you peace. If you're in a warfare with your own body, come up and let him minister his healing grace. You can touch the hem of his garment. You can push through the things that are crowding that say you can't get to him. Push through them. Come up and touch him today and let that grace fill you. We all need him. We all need him. Thank you, Lord. If you don't, try to go in peace. You can be dismissed. Otherwise, come for prayer. Let's love one another in ministry and in giving of each other to each other. Jesus at the center equals his love for you. Come.